morning to you. I want to say thank you for coming out on a bad day, <laughs> icy day. Uh, yeah, really glad that you're here. You know, we preachers, we know, we know when the crowd's going to be up and down, kind of. And today was one of those days I said, oh, it's probably going to be pretty low. But then I said, hey, God, you know what? You know exactly who needs to be here today to hear this message. And God, you know who's going to tune in on the radio. And you know whoever's going to go to doorsville.com and click on sermons and listen to this message just a little bit later. So isn't it good to know that God's in control? Amen, it really is. Then I have to say, shoot that thing. I really appreciate a song that Amanda chose. She wrote me on Friday and said, hey, what are you preaching on? And it's really not an easy topic. And so I came in and, and I said, what are you singing today? And she showed me the words and said, oh my gosh, Amanda, that's just perfect. In fact, in a totally different genre of, of, of music, style of music, her, that song that I chose for the video and her words match perfectly perfectly. You know, God, why don't you do something? And he said, I did. I created you. I created you. And we are the hands and the feet of God and Jesus in this world. And so as we launch a new series entitled Right on the Money, I want you to keep that big picture in mind, is that we are God's hands and feet and often the resources that that God uses to touch the world. Now, I need to say this. Probably whenever you hear the word money and have a preacher's mouth, you kind of like, you know, I get that. And I hope you won't eat too much today. And over the next three weeks, we got today plus three more weeks. But it's kind of like this. You know, you may not be a fan of going to the doctor. Okay, but when you go and he defines, well, one, you're not feeling well or two, maybe you just go. Your wife forces you to go because, guys, we know we don't go as our wife forces us. But anyway, he finds something like, wow, pretty critical. And then all of a sudden, he, you know, he prescribes the right medicine. He, you know, you get healed. And all of a sudden, the doctor becomes your best friend. You go, yay, God, you know, yay, doctor. We're glad for that. Or or maybe like the dentist. Okay, a lot of people don't like going to the dentist. In fact, I had to go to the dentist right before Africa because I had a crack. And so, uh, brother, doctor, brother, doctor, Mark, you know, fixed me up with a temporary crown and had to come back and get that, you know, taken care of, uh, this week. I think it was a uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And boy, I was just, okay. I didn't want to go because, you know, don't, you know, God, you know, I'm a wimp, you know, and all that stuff. And you know what? Got the new crown on. Yay, doctor, Mark. And you know why I'm a real fan of dentists? It's because I hurt. Now I don't. See? Now hurt. Now, now. Or, or, or maybe you're the kind of guy that goes to the gym. And so, like, maybe, like, January 1st, you started going to the gym. And you went so far to get a personal trainer. You know, I had one once, and I called him Igor. You know, Igor, why are you trying to hurt me? That's my job. That's my job. So you went January, the first week in January. You got your personal trainer. And Igor made you do things that your body shouldn't do. But here you are now, five weeks later, and you're 15 pounds lighter, and you feel better. And you're going, yay, Igor! Okay, that's how these sermons, I hope they are. It makes us kind of cringe when we hear the word money and from a preacher's mouth or from this stage. But I hope by the time we're done, you'll go, yay, God. Yay, God. Thank you for teaching me about money. It's such a huge, important topic. Now, back in 1976, the year that Miss Taylor and I were married, all right, June the 26th, 1976, I got it right. All right. 43 years ago coming up, you know, a song came out by the group ABBA. Anybody remember ABBA? Everybody agree that the 60s and 70s were the greatest music on the earth? Can't speak for the 80s and 90s. I must have cruised through them. I can't name a song from the 80s and 90s. Probably because there weren't any. 
There weren't any, all right? But in the 70s, here's what came out of Abba. Money, money, money. It must be funny in the rich man's world. Money, money, money. Always sunny in the rich man's world. All the things I could do if I had a little money. It's a rich man's world. It's a rich man's world. Well, let me just tell you this. It's not all sunny in the rich man's world. And it's not always funny in the rich man's world. I did a little research and found out this song is about a woman who, despite her best efforts um, at work, could not make ends meet. And her answer was, find a rich man and marry him. And if she could marry a rich man, her life would be sunny and funny. I don't care how much money he's got. If he's not a good match and not a good mate and not a good husband, your world ain't going to be funny or sunny. Amen? So so here's the deal. From the view of Abba, um, money is the all-fix-all, and it's not. It is not, it's not. And I probably just need to throw in right now, time out. You know, you got to keep in mind that most of us know all of us in this room today are wealthy in one sense or another. All it takes is a quick trip around the world, and you'll see that Americans, by and large, are very wealthy people. But money... If you're sitting here today and you've got more than you can count, or if you could count it on two hands, the bottom line is money is not the fix-all we make it out to be. Um, We think often, if I just had more, you know, we're kind of like one of the dudes in the novels, you know, uh, excuse me, sir, could I have a bit more, a little bit more, Oliver Twist, I think it was, a little bit more. And money is not the fix-all that is proposed to be. It is interesting, however, to note that Jesus taught more about money than heaven and hell combined. Jesus taught more about money than heaven and hell. In fact, I'm pretty sure you could throw in a couple more categories in there. I mean, sometimes when we preachers do this, we have to kind of scratch for a scripture, okay, to kind of talk about what we want to talk about, you know, what God's laying on our hearts to talk about. But in the topic of finances and money, not so. It's, the problem is too much. The, as I was studying for this message, I'm going, oh, I could use that, and oh, I could use that. And uh, it's just so many topics on that. So, so here's the deal. Why did, why did Jesus talk so much about money? Well, here's the deal. Money is a big deal to God. Money is a big deal to God. But not for the reason you think. Okay? Money's a big deal to God because He knows the power that it has. And let me say this. Let me say this. It's not that money has the power. It's the love of money has the power. You know, when we start loving money, then it has a huge power over us and it can cause some really damaging things. So, so that's why it's a big deal to God. I mean, come on. It's not like God needs our money. Okay, because he owns everything, including your money and that you call your money. He owns the world. He owns the universe and beyond the galaxies. He made it all and he owns it all. Okay, so so here's the big deal. You know, God is interested in money because he knows what it can do to us. Um, Andy Stanley said this. He said, God is not trying to get your money. He's trying to keep your money from getting you. God is not trying to get your money, okay? He's trying to keep your money from getting you. And that's, that's really huge. That's really huge. How many of y'all have ever heard of a piranha before? 
Yeah, uh, there's a piranha up there. Notice, and again, even on the small screen, I think you can see it pretty good. Oh, yeah, you can see it real good there. You see those white things in his mouth? Yeah, well, those are teeth, okay? And the love of money, the slide says, is like a piranha lurking just below the surface waiting to devour you, okay? The love of money is a very dangerous love, a very dangerous love. Now, piranhas... You know, they live mainly in the Amazon and South America, although some have been found in America, by the way, in some of the southern lakes. Um, But the thing about piranhas is that they're all buddies. Okay? You know, hey, Sam, how you doing? Hey, George, doing good. You doing good today? Okay? And then when something falls into the water, okay, that's got a little blood, okay, it's it's like throwing gas on a fire. Okay? And so instantly they turn into this feeding frenzy and attacking whatever it is that fell into the water. You know, a little blood, a little bleeding, and you're done for. You're done for. Here's the deal, though. You know, the same piranha that said, Hi, Sam, how you doing? If Sam gets a nick and starts bleeding, they eat Sam. They turn on each other and eat. And I'm telling you, when it comes to the love of money, all it takes is a little bleeding, and you're done for. Money can pull you under and devour you. The love of money can pull you under and devour you quicker than anything you can imagine. Now, I ran across a saying that I used, I think, on a Wednesday night. I think I did. Um, I know I put it on Facebook. But a saying by uh, Greg Laurie that I think you'll find pretty powerful. At first, you're going to go, what exactly, how does that apply to this topic? Well, hang on with me. Here's what Greg Laurie said. You can read it on the screen. You can't live in two worlds. You can't go forward when you're looking back. And you can't walk forward spiritually if you're always looking over your shoulder. Now, here's where it's interesting. World changers. World changers see opportunities. But those who are changed by this world see obstacles. World changers see bridges, but those who are changed by this world see walls. It's all in how you look at things. Now, here's what I would add to Mr. Laurie's quote. World changers see money as a tool for the kingdom of God. Those who have been changed by the world see money as a god to be worshipped. World changers see money as a tool to be used in the kingdom of God. Those changed by the world see money as a god to be worshipped. And that's what the sermon is about today. How do we not allow money to become a demigod in our lives. Now, our scripture today starts in, if you've got the Bible app out and you've got your event there, you've got your scriptures, and we've got them on the screen also this morning, of course, in your Bible. And so the first thing, we've got like four things that Paul tells us, and there are two scriptures, um, two sets of scriptures in 1 Timothy 6 that simply are amazingly powerful dealing with money. You'll get one now and one in about three or four weeks out, you'll get the other one. But here's what it says in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6. I call it the secret sauce. The secret sauce. Now, 
I've got a world-class barbecue guy in my church. His name is Jeremy Bennett. I didn't ask him beforehand, but there are two kinds of barbecue people, okay? There's ones who are purist, and that is they will smoke their meat on their grill, and they would never put a sauce on it. And they will tell you that sauce is just a mask for bad barbecue. That's what they tell you. But then there's a other set of barbecuers who will tell you that sauce is boss. If you buy sweet, is it sweet? I got to always look. Sweet Baby Ray's. I always want to say Sweet Baby James from the 1970s song, Sweet Baby James. Okay, but Sweet Baby, anybody use Sweet Baby Ray's? Uh, yeah, hello. Okay, good stuff. Okay, and on that bottle, it says the sauce is boss. Well, I'm trying to tell you today that if we get nothing else but this first point, it's worth the price of admission today. And that is this. The secret sauce is godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness with contentment is great gain. I need to tell you ahead of time, this is one of those things that as I study, I got a little different perspective. I went, oh my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Because I've loved this scripture for so long. And many of you have heard this scripture before. You go, oh, yeah. God, oh, yeah, well, I've heard that one. That's a good one, Dwayne. That's really good. But listen to this. First off, notice it says godliness first. And then adds contentment is great gain. Now, let me tell you what godliness is. Godliness is the ability that we have or the, no, no, no. The choice and decision we make to live Christ-like in this world. Godliness is an outward expression of what takes place inside. Godliness is an outward expression of what takes place on the inside. Okay? Now, why is that so important? Why is that part of the secret sauce? Well, I told someone today that I'm 65 years old, and he was 18. And I said, I've been doing this for a long time, 35 years, and he was encouraging me not to change and compromise. I said, I don't think you need to worry about that because I've been doing it for 35 years. I don't see myself changing tomorrow, okay? But here's the deal. With this, with godliness, I've got a lot of miles in my rearview mirror, okay? And here's what I know. I don't think it. I don't hope it. I know that when we choose to live godly lives... It is always a life of less regrets. Now, you need to write that down. If you're a note taker, if you're a tattoo artist, you need to put it on your hand. Okay? Godly living is always a life of fewer regrets. I look back in my rearview mirror, and you look in your rearview mirror, and you see if you've lived like I have, you know, 65 years, and I've done pretty good, I'll be honest. You know, but I've got some junk back there. And, and, and maybe faded back into the back of my rearview mirror by looking, oh, that was a bad decision. Oh, that wasn't too smart. Oh, I wish I hadn't have said that. Oh, I wish I hadn't have done that. I wish I hadn't made that choice. But here's the deal. If you are living a godly life, when you look in that rearview mirror, you're going to see far less junk and garbage strewn along the road. So Paul says the decision, the choice to live honestly in accordance with the word of God is an outward expression of what happens on the inside. You will have a life full or excuse me, with far less regrets. Do You got that. Is that worth the price of admission? Yes. 
It really is. Because let me tell you about regrets. They hurt. They hurt. January 1st, I decided to do my very best to get back to walking. Okay, I had slacked off during... Actually, I slacked off since I had my heart attack. And I hadn't quite got all the way back in yet. But about two weeks before Christmas, I stopped. And so January 1st, new page, new day, new month, new year. I'm ready to go. And I go out and I did an incredible walk without stretching my legs. And I ended up with a heel injury that I'm still dealing with today. I regret. If I could go back to January 1st, I would take the time and stretch this tendon and not have the heel injury. But guess what? I didn't. It's a regret. I'm still dealing with it today. So number one, godliness leads to a life of less regrets. And then number two, godliness with contentment is great gain. I've always wrestled with that. What does it mean, really, to be content? I mean, you know, it seems like I always want a little bit more. So what does it mean to be content? And then I stumbled upon this definition, this scriptural definition, this biblical definition of contentment. And I went, oh my goodness. Here is the definition of contentment in this context. Contentment is, now listen and get ready. I think I put it, no, it's not in your app. So you're going to have to write this one down. Contentment is an inner sufficiency that keeps us at peace in spite of outward circumstances. I'll say it again. An inner sufficiency that keeps us at peace in spite of our outward circumstances. Is that good? Yeah, it gets better. Because the inner sufficiency is not self-confidence. The inner sufficiency is not talents and abilities. The inner sufficiency is not the little train going up the hill going, I think I can, I think I can, I think I can. The inner sufficiency is Jesus Christ. He is the sufficient Christ. I wrote three words down that are incredibly powerful. I choose to live a godly life and have fewer regrets. And I live and believe three words. Jesus is enough. Jesus is enough. Now, I'm going to tell you right now, I know from life experiences, your life experiences and my life experiences, that money is not enough. Because people with money still get sick. People with money still end up with broken marriages. In fact, a lot. People with money die of cancer. People with money have children go astray. People with money live unhappy lives. So I know money is not the sufficiency, but Jesus is enough. And if you're today dealing with an illness... I want you to know Jesus is enough. 
If you're dealing with a broken heart over a broken marriage, or recently you've gone through a divorce through a broken marriage, I still want you to know Jesus is enough. If you've lost your job, I want you to know that Jesus is enough. If if your children are walking a path you wish they did not walk, I want you to know that Jesus is enough. No matter what your need, no matter what your circumstance, no matter what you're facing, I want you to know that Jesus is enough. Now, that's not a promise. Listen, that's not a promise of prosperity gospel. It's a promise. It's a promise of a Savior that won't let you go. That won't let you go. Hang up your religion. It'll fail you. Hang up your, the promise of, of performance. It'll fail you. But Jesus never will. Jesus is enough. Now, now, combine those two. First, let's start with the inner sufficiency of a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. He is the all-sufficient Christ. With Him in your inside and oozing out to the outside where your circumstances are and empowering you to live a godly life, which is a life with fewer regrets, that's a strong combination for improving where you are right now in your life station. You don't have to have six figures a year. You don't have to have a million dollars in the bank. You don't have to have the perfect marriage. You don't have to have the perfect children. You don't have to have the perfect church. Because Jesus is enough. Jesus is enough. Paul paints this for us. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 12 and 13, scriptures that you know, Paul says this. Now, keep in mind, Paul is writing this from a Roman prison. He's not at the Kentucky Lake Resort. He's not one of the rich TV preachers and has his fancy car in the driveway living in his mansion. He is in a Roman prison and not too long from now will be dead. Here's what he says. I know both how to make do with a little and I know how to make do with a lot. So Paul says, whether I have a little and a Roman prison is just a little and whether I have a lot and believe me, a lot to him wasn't a lot. But whether I have those two things, whatever, I've learned to make do with those. He said, I know how to make do a lot in any and all circumstances. Remember, self-intersufficiency keeps us at peace, okay, in spite of outward circumstances. Intersufficiency keeps us at peace in spite of our outward circumstances. So, in spite of... Of any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being content. Whether I am well fed or hungry. See, that's why I can tell you Jesus is enough. If you go home and there's not a lot in your cabinet, cabinet, Jesus is still enough. If you're in a difficult marriage, Jesus is still enough. If you've got a raunchy boss, Jesus is still enough. Enough. So he says, I've learned the secret of being content, whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or need. Now watch this. Verse 13, your favorite verse. 
I am able, or let me just quote the King James because that's what's in my mind. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Paul says that in spite of my circumstances, the inner sufficiency of Christ, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He's simply affirming what he wrote to Timothy in 6.6. That godliness and contentment is great gain. And he comes along and says, I can do all things because he is my sufficiency. This is so good, I can't stand it. Because I can, do, I can do all things because Christ is my sufficiency. Not because I was born with a golden spoon. Not because I've got the right job. Not because i got the right title. Not because I knew the right person in politics. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me because Christ is my sufficiency. Amen? I mean, this is, this is golden. Not because I'm saying it. This is God speaking. This is golden. And we need to apply this and learn this. Now, he says in Philippians 4.19, Paul does, My God shall supply all your needs. He's able. Someone say, God is able. He is able. My God shall supply all your needs according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And that leads us into the second thing. And the second thing is this. Um, I borrow Greg Rochelle's sermon title just for a point and put traveling light. Traveling light. Here's what Paul says in 1 Timothy 6, 7. For, he says, we brought nothing into the world. Now, let me replay that for you. I may not have been there, but I know the story. When your mother gave birth to you, you came out with nothing. You did not have clothes on. You did not have a wallet. You didn't have a passbook savings account. You didn't have a MasterCard or a Visa. You didn't even have a Huggies or a Pamper on. So we brought nothing into this world. And he says, we can take nothing out. So when we came in, we came in with nothing now listen to me. And when we leave, we leave with nothing. You know, Billy Graham said this. I heard the saying, but I didn't know Billy Graham said it. Billy Graham said, I have never seen a U-Haul behind a hearse. And it's true. Even when people choose to have to be buried with expensive jewelry, I've seen it. I once saw a four or five carat diamond go into the dirt. Saw it with my own eyes. Do you want to take the ring off? No, bury it with her. No matter how or what, you leave it here. You may put it in the casket, but it still stays here. There's something called the Jekyll Island Club, or there was something called the Jekyll Island Club. In case you don't know, Jekyll Island is an island off the coast of Georgia. And back in the late 20th century, no, 19th century and early 20th century, so about 1880, 90 to about 1920, there was something called the Jekyll Island Club. 
its membership was very exclusive. Here are some of the names that even though it's been a hundred years, you'll recognize. Goodyear, Rockefeller, Pulitzer, Vanderbilt, Morgan, Macy, Gould, Crane, and Astor. Nine men. Nine men. And they were not, that's just the most famous names. Rockefeller was so wealthy that twice he bailed out the United States government. The whole deal. These nine men held one-sixth of the world's wealth at that time. Nine men held one-sixth of the world's wealth. Two things they all have in common. All their plans are now come to naught. And two, they're all dead. They're all dead. If you could ask these men today or their families, Rockefeller, Goodyear, those, how much did they leave behind? And the answer is all of it. All of it. Paul says we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out. So Jesus said this. Jesus says in Luke 12, 15, 12, 15. He then told them, watch out and be on guard against all greed. Because one's life is not in the abundance of his possessions. Let me read that again. The reference is Luke 12, 15. He told them, talking to the people, Jesus speaking, watch out and be on guard against all greed, because one's life is not in the abundance of his possessions. You are no more or less because of what kind of car you drive. You are not more or less because of the address you hold or the square footage of your house. You are not more or less by the brand of your watch. You are not more or less by the label of your shirt or the label of your skirt. Your life is not determined, Jesus said, your life is not determined in the abundance of a person's possessions. We need to know that. Because the world sells this. Buy this car, build this house, wear these labels, go these places, and you will be more than another person. That's a lie. That's a lie. Jesus said, your stuff don't make you who you are. You are who you are by the grace of God. By the grace of God. Jesus said in Matthew, I'm going to Jesus' role, figure might as well keep it going, huh? Matthew 6, 19 and 21, part of the Sermon of the Mount. I, the, the term heart snatchers came into my brain, and I thought how I could illustrate that with a movie, but we won't go there. But heart snatchers, Jesus said this, 
Don't store up for yourself treasures on earth. Don't store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. He said, don't put your treasures here because it's all temporary and it can be stolen, it can rust out, it can dissolve, it can be taken. Don't put your treasures here because they won't last. So I bet you figured out he's got a better plan. Okay? And here's his better plan. But, verse 20, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves don't break in and steal. God's got a better plan. He said you can invest it here and it's going to be stolen or eaten and the best case scenario, just left. Left. Or you can invest it in the kingdom and in God's economy in heaven, and no one can steal it, no one can take it away, and it'll eventually be there when you get there. See, it's like this. Some people in their homes have a, a lot box. You know, you go to Walmart, and you've got one of those little boxes, and you got a little key for it, you know? Now, truth is, I need to say this. If somebody breaks into your house, and you got stuff like valuable in there, they're going to kick it open. Okay, they're going to set that sucker on the floor and you're not going to be home. And, and they're going to kick that thing. And that sucker made, made in China with a little tin key is going to bust open. But that's your plan. Just need to tell you, it ain't going to work. Some people even have a safe at home. And that's better. But depending on the size of the safe, the safe can be stolen. And trust me, there are men and women who know how to get into your safe. It's better... But it's not best. Well, Dwayne, what is best? Well, I'll tell you what is best. You go yourself to Farmer State Bank or somewhere else, and you walk up to that counter and say, I want one of them safe deposit boxes. And for a few dollars a month, they're going to give you a box. Now, I didn't ask Charlie, I didn't ask nobody how this works. But this is how I think it works. So, I walk in there... And say, I want to get to my stuff. And they're going to check my ID thoroughly. And then they're going to escort me to another part of the bank. And if I'm wrong, I don't think I am. I know it's true in most banks. and probably true in the banks here in Harrisburg. Then they're going to take you. And they're going to put you in a room. Then they're going to walk in there, right in there. And they're going to go in their vault. And part of their vault where they keep your money is where your money is. And they're going to slide that sucker out of the wall. And they're going to bring it here and set in front of you. And you got the key to open it. So if somebody's going to steal your stuff, they're going to have to break into the bank. They're going to have to break into the vault. And then they're going to have to break into your box. Now, just a thought. Which plan seems the most secure? I think number three sounds pretty good. What sounds better, your plan or God's plan? Your plan of, I'm going to invest here in all of this. Well, guess what? One day you're going to die and leave it to somebody because you ain't taking it with you. Or you can try God's plan by investing in heaven. And somehow, some way, as we invest in heaven and God's economy, there's rewards there for that. God has an economy 
in heaven. Which is best? Which is best? Which is going to be rewarding, more rewarding? Investing a lot in a car that in 15 years is worth nothing? Or something that's going to last for all eternity? What's more rewarding? Investing in stuff here? Or one day getting to heaven and hearing the king say, Well done, good and faithful servant. Amen? Amen? Well, let me see what's next because we're out of time. We're going to stop there. (laughs) I got a lot more. So here's the thing we want to learn. There is a secret sauce. And your best life. Someone say best life. Your best life is a life lived out in godliness. Because it's a life of fewer regrets. The second part of the secret sauce a inner sufficiency that gives us peace in spite of external circumstances. That's the secret sauce. And who's that sufficiency? Who's that sufficiency? Yeah. It's not, boy, y'all, what's the deal? What's that sufficiency? I'm a dog. How about that? Y'all can't say Jesus. I'm not going to quit. What's that sufficiency? I want you to know that. I want you to believe that. It's not your religion. It's not Dorsville Baptist Church. It's not your good works. It's not your performance. It's Jesus by God's grace. I'm telling you, that changes everything. That changes everything. So we can't take it with us outside of Christ. Outside of Christ. We came into the world naked and we leave the same way. But by God's grace, according to Jesus in Matthew chapter 6, we can take it with us by God's economy. But but it depends on us being a world changer that views money the right way. Money is a tool to be used in the kingdom of God. Money's neutral. Money's not good or bad. The love of money is not good. But but money's neutral. Okay? It's neutral. It's a tool that can be used for the kingdom of God. But if we allow the world to change us, if we view money the way the world views money, then it becomes a God in our lives that we choose to worship. And look at me. The choice is yours. By God's grace, if you are a Christ follower today, you've got the Holy Spirit living in you, and you have got the power to flourish in the areas of your money. No matter what your debt load is right now, He can deliver you. No matter what the pressures, financial pressures you're under, He can deliver you. It'll take time, but He can deliver you because He is the all-sufficient Christ. Would you bow your heads, please? Dwayne, what's the bottom line? What would you like to see happen here today? Well, first off, and I don't really get a chance a lot to talk about Jesus and salvation, but I just want to tell you something. Uh, For me... October 26, 1975, I put my faith and trust in Jesus. And it was a game changer. I was so religious, but so lost. And then I met Jesus. And it changed everything. It changed everything. So if you're here today, and you're going, doggone it, I come out in ice, and all I hear about is this. Dude, this is the most important message you could hear. Because the world is selling this false God of satisfaction and stuff, and it never will satisfy. But Jesus never fails. 
And we would love to tell you about that. We always have a decision time at the end of our service. And Brother Brent will be standing down front and just say, Hey, Brent, I want to know about this Jesus. I want to know about the man who can change my life. And we'll be glad to share that truth with you. If you're here today and you are a Christ follower, then um, I really want to encourage you. I really want to encourage you to choose to be a world changer with what God has put in your hands. To choose to use what God's put in your hands as a tool for the kingdom. I want you to be forewarned of the ability of the love of money to become a God in your life. A God in your life that we worship. Be careful. Because Satan knows this. He knows the power of the love of money to steal the hearts of God's people. You know, Jesus said in Matthew 6, that verse I didn't get to, it said this, For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. If your treasure's on earth, that's where your heart is. If your treasure's in heaven, that's where your heart is. So would you be authentic enough today where you are and say, God, I want you to know something. That I know everything comes from you, and it's all in your hands. I've trusted you with my soul. Now I'm going to trust you with my stuff. I've trusted you with my soul. And now I want to trust you with my stuff. Help me to believe, to practice, to apply the secret sauce of godliness and contentment is great gain. Thank you, Father, for the privilege of sharing these truths today. Please don't let Satan steal them away. We remember the parable of the seed and how he loves to come along behind the sower and steal that seed away. I pray in Jesus' name against that today. Our brother Donnie likes to pray that you'll trouble people. And God, I want to pray you'll trouble us today because that will help us to be people of action and not just knowledge. Thank you, God, for your incredibly wise word. Well, thank you for giving it to us. And Jesus, I pray it in your precious name. Amen.